My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. I'm your host, and today I have a super special guest. She shares a house. We share kids. Um, she's, you know, doing amazing things. Her name is Claudia E. Hampram, and she is my wife of many, many years. Claudia, welcome to the show. Actually, today I have a very special guest. His name is Era E. Hampram. Sorry. Uh, she's making fun of the fact that I mess up last names. So funny. Sorry, did I butcher that? I hope I got that right. He is the co-founder of Continue Care, a cloud-based platform for senior homes in North America, co-founder of Tamil Culture and My Tamil Date, an online lifestyle publication and trusted dating community, and most recently, the host of the Tamil Creator podcast of 100 episodes, which this audience has benefited from enjoying. First of all, thank you so much, Era, for making time in your schedule to join us today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It wasn't that hard to, to organize this since we live in the same house. Second of all, 100 episodes in. Congratulations, babe. Thank you. I'm very proud of you. We're happy to share that for this very special episode. Episode, we have a new ad with respect to the podcast. Surprise! This special 100th episode of the Tamil Creator Podcast is sponsored by TheOnlineActor.com. The Online Actor is a fully online acting training studio that offers group acting classes and private coaching for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to the industry hoping to learn the basics of acting on camera or a seasoned professional looking to level up your performance skills, The Online Actor has a training option for you. Visit theonlineactor.com for more details and to observe a training session for free. And now back to the podcast. For 100 episodes, we have heard you say that you like to start at the beginning. So let's do that and start at the beginning. Tell us about your childhood and formative years in terms of how they played a part in becoming an entrepreneur. That's a good question. I like to ask this question, obviously, because of her kids and trying to figure out what we can do to kind of, you know, set them up for success. But, you know, I think my story is similar to a lot of people, I guess, I don't know if we're first or second generation, but, you know, in terms of having immigrant parents, you know, trying to work multiple jobs, often both parents working. In our case, my mom stayed at home with us while my dad was working. I think it was just an environment of like, Claudia, we always talk about kind of our different upbringings where me and my siblings are quite independent. And I think it's because we're kind of off the left to our own devices just because our parents are so busy and like problem solving. I think that's a big thing of entrepreneurship is like just figuring things out. We just had to figure things out. I don't think our parents pushed us to, but we just had to kind of just figure stuff out on our own. You know, we weren't coddled and, you know, maybe our parents probably would have wanted to, but they were just busy. So just things like when we got sick, it was just like, it's like that Chris Rock joke of like, Robitussin for everything. I think for us, it was like Odeclone for everything or just some kind of Tamil remedy or just, you know, stop playing and just rest or like all these things that didn't make sense. But that was kind of our childhood of qual when I think of qualities that make up uh, somebody that can get into entrepreneurship. I think one is being resilient, problem solving. Yeah, just kind of sticking through things, even when things are tough, being part of that childhood of just seeing your parents work hard. I don't know if my siblings had this, but I had this where because our parents couldn't really afford stuff, I think there was one grade, I had like two blue shirts and I was like nicknamed Moa Blue because I had two blue shirts. It sounds cool, but really it's because 
because I didn't have that many shirts. So like looking back, I was like, oh, that actually was kind of sad, but I didn't really notice it. I think it's just all these things you care about when you get older, like they're not really that big of a deal. But uh, I think that's our childhood. And like our parents put us in a lot of stuff. They're busy with work, but you know, my dad, especially me, tried to put me in so much stuff like swimming, piano, karate. I, I probably hated a lot of that stuff. I appreciate some of it now, but if we're looking back, I wish I was able to be more of a kid like my brothers were able to. Um, I think my brother got into, he was supposed to do guitar lessons. I think he gave up after like three um, lessons and, you know, the story I shared of like him selling the guitar to Vaz versus like I had to stick with piano until like level eight piano, which is like crazy. But yeah, I think that's our childhood. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? I was born in Jaffna. Um, came here when I was three, so I don't remember much of Sri Lanka. I see photos. I have no memory. We came and grew, I grew, pretty much grew up in Melbourne, so different parts of Melbourne. So uh, 97 Crow Trail for those who used to live in like kind of um, the Tom Longboat area, then 74 Horseshoe Crescent, then 10 Chad Crescent, and then finally where we live now. So just pretty much like Melbourne, just grew up probably within like a 10 minute driving distance of all the houses in like maybe the 20 plus years I lived in Scarborough. So yeah. Did your parents come directly to Scarborough? It's so bad that I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure, but I, I, don't, I just don't have, I don't have those answers. <laughs> it wasn't Montreal? Uh Oh, you mean that? Yeah. So I think you meant, I guess, in Toronto, but yeah, I think they took the path that I think most people that would just come to Montreal there was a time when we used to visit this random French lady in Montreal I remember we used to go visit her I had no idea who she was now thinking back I think she was the one that gave us a place to stay when we first landed so yeah a lot of like nice people even back then I think the the sentiment towards immigration was different but yeah are you the youngest? Are you the eldest? Do you have siblings? I am the oldest of four. I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, my sister is the youngest. I, there's a seven-year gap between me and her, just like you and Deshane. Who's your favorite sibling? I don't have a favorite, but I spend the most time with my sister because I think we have a lot of similar interests. And I think my brothers probably became sick of me uh, as I was probably like a second dad to them growing up. Um, and I think naturally because of there's four of us, whenever we played like games, it was two on two. Nobody wanted to play with my sister because she was kind of the baby. So it was just me and her versus always my brother so I think just naturally over time that's kind of how it lied but no favorites actually I think we have a <clears throat> your favorite sister on the phone right now hey hey it's your favorite sister calling in to say congratulations it's mind-blowing to me that you're already on your hundredth episode of this podcast it sounds cliche, but it really does feel like it was just yesterday that you talked about starting this podcast and, you know, putting out a few episodes and now you're at 100. And it's truly just been inspiring because you have so much going on from your other projects and not to mention being a dad of twins. Uh, so I really admire how passionate and committed you've been to really building this podcast. You've had such a range of awesome guests some really memorable conversations and you really made it your own throughout this so again congrats i hope you're taking the time to reflect on this journey and be proud of what you've been able to create and share with others now to turn the tables on you i have a question for your 100th episode if you could be a guest on any podcast what podcast would that be and why 
That was a good question from my sister. I think I've listened to more and more podcasts, so it's slightly more difficult to answer this than before, but I think the overwhelming favorite is My First Million. reason I like it is I kind of try to emulate or wanted to emulate that podcast in a certain way, but obviously it's a different flavor there. But I just love the fact that it feels like you're hanging out with friends, even though they have no idea who you are. And it's just kind of like a great listen as you're walking. So if I were to be a guest on a show, I think that would be the podcast. Why did you decide to pursue entrepreneurship? Which at the time, about a decade ago or so, many may have considered to be the road less traveled. I mean, you completed an engineering degree and an MBA degree from Rockman University of Toronto when you could have easily been hired by a top firm with a secure, well-paying income upon graduation. Was there a defining moment in your life where you knew you didn't want to be involved with a traditional style nine to five type of role? I think I had the, maybe the wrong impression or things have changed as well. But I think looking back, didn't like the interviewing process. I didn't like the networking, like all these things that I thought I, I looked at it as negative. It was like with a negative lens. So for me, it was like I didn't want to just work at a big company and like not have any impact. Um, I mean, there's definitely benefits to that, which is you're a cog in the machine. You can get a lot of learning from big company. These are things I was not aware of. Um, I kind of was with IBM, but it was more so like, this is kind of boring. I want to kind of have more impact or more say in the things I was working on and I guess ownership of my time. And I think seeing my dad grow up and being an entrepreneur, like, you know, running a restaurant, tough, tough, tough business, but kind of got to see him create jobs and, you know, control his own experience, his time in a way even though he's quite busy, he was able to take us to like different classes, um, just things like that. So uh, I think it was really two things. I think ownership of time, didn't want to just fit in because, you know, graduating with the MBA program, it was like either finance, consulting, like entrepreneurship was like this, like, I think when I told people, I don't think people, they thought it was weird versus now, like, you know, it's very accepted. There's like entrepreneurship programs and MBA programs and like engineering programs. But back then it wasn't really encouraged. So I, I kind of also liked that it was on the fringe. I like doing things where they're not like mainstream. You know, if this was now, I probably wouldn't have gotten into entrepreneurship. So I think that's, I think timing is one of those key things. What would you say sparked your priority? of ownership of time. I, I, I didn't really understand the concept. I'm, I can, I'm saying it looking back. That's what I was probably trying to articulate, but I knew that, that that's kind of something that I wanted. But I think the key was when I was working at a startup downtown Toronto, um, working at other startups, which is a great learning op- op- experience. But again, same thing. Felt my, you know, I got to make more impact, but, you know, it was very demanding. And um, I was starting to develop or understand that my identity was not just the startup I worked at or the business I ran. It was like other things that were important to me. So being in a startup and kind of trying, the thing we were trying to solve at that time required me more time. And I just started to kind of get curious about how do I do the things I want when I want. And I think I stumbled across actually a friend of mine who worked at that same startup. He was always finding all these like interesting people. And like, he was like my like go-to guy for finding these things. His name was Alfred. And I think he had um, sent me something about Mr. Money Mustache. I don't think he even read it though. I think he just like, oh, he's, he might be, you might be interested based on what you're saying. I read it. I was like, wow, like, like this is legit. It wasn't, it wasn't like some made up thing. Like this guy actually did it. I know when a lot of people think of that, they're like, oh, it's too hard and like all that. But the big thing Mr. Money Mushta said was delayed gratification. If you delay gratification by keeping your costs low, invest, um, you know, you can gain more control of your time. Maybe not all of it, but like slowly you can kind of capture more and more of it. And there's other people I slowly discovered, Mr. 1500 and like, like, you know, fire like the the five movement is much more popular now 
but again I, again back then it wasn't so and that was like whatever almost 10 years ago i think maybe less um but i think that's what sparked it so thank you alfred thank you alfred <laughs> <laughs> reaping the benefits um what is the fire movement you mentioned it a lot in your previous uh podcast episodes and it's clearly very important to you maybe your guests would like to learn a little bit about that yeah fire is basically it stands for financially independent retire early and it doesn't mean like oh you're like rich or something like that it just means it's it's like when people say lose weight there's all these different semantics of how to lose weight but the basic equation is you lose weight by burning more calories than you eat or consume uh so it's the same thing for fire or like owning your time one of the biggest like just like with calories out and in it's basically money in and money out so you could make half a million dollars a year, but if you're spending 600,000, you're still worse off than somebody making 40,000 and saving 20,000. So the idea was try to get your spend down as much as possible. So things like, you know, if you have two cars, get down to one or, um, you know, cut down on like consumption of like, it's good for the environment as well, but like buying clothes or just buying stuff that is not really valuable. Uh, so just putting these rules in place to kind of cut down consumption. And on, on the other side, try to increase your income over time slowly. Um, so I think the expense thing is the big focus for FIRE. But like there's like other movements in FIRE, like Fat FIRE, et cetera, that focus on the income part. But for me, it was really the expense part where it kind of really made me like look at like, wow, why am I spending all this? Like, why am I spending all this money on this stuff? Uh, and by doing that, I became healthier, spent less, you know things like that. So yes, that's why fire is important. And it's just really about ownership of time. You don't have to own all of it, but maybe it's you work a remote job. This is, you know, before remote work, obviously with pen, the pandemic, but like with remote work or maybe like working part-time hours or working multiple jobs. It's just being creative in like how you made income so that you didn't waste time doing things you didn't want to do like commuting or yeah, just things like that. What would you say were the biggest changes you implemented when you learned about fire we went down to one car so you got the car i just decided to take like transit or like uber um you know try to do more of my stuff remote and by doing that it actually made me more active because because i didn't have the car like i would walk to the like you know the, the bus stop or you know just walk to more places because i was like oh it's a short distance um and also by doing stuff more at home versus in the office i would eat less junk food because you know when you're in the office you want to like go out and get some like good lunch or you know just spend more money than you need to versus at home i can kind of control what i eat uh, i could sleep better so it was just i think refocusing on health um cutting down with one car and uh, just learning more how to do more with what you have. I think most people get caught up with, oh, that's not possible. You need more of this or more of that. But it's like, no, I think the fundamental idea is what can you do with what you have? And then slowly kind of go from there. So um, I think those are like the really high level thought process changes that I made, plus like some practical stuff there. Yeah. Was I easy to convince? No, <laughs> you were not. But I think um, because I listened to like, I didn't really listen to the podcast, but I read enough articles about this same conundrum of like one person believing in fire and like their spouse. Usually it was often male person that believes in like fire and their female or like, you know, in a heterosexual relationship, a female spouse was the one that was like, ah, we don't believe that. Like, let's not like, why are we delaying gratification? Let's just go crazy and like spend, spend, spend. But I think 
just like anything, I think you're pretty open to learning new things. It wasn't a, like I have to like reframe my mind that it's not a bad thing you're questioning it because I could just be drinking the Kool-Aid and not like really thinking things through. So you asked some really good questions. So, I mean, I, looking back, it was, I think it like played out the way it's supposed to. As someone who's entrepreneurial, you have many ventures, Tamil Culture, My Tamil Day, Continue Care, The Tamil Creator, plus consulting for various startups. Interestingly, many of your ventures have Tamil in common. How connected do you feel to your Tamil identity? I think growing up, I grew up around in a lot of Tamil, very Tamil-centric areas. So Melbourne was heavy immigrants, a lot of Tamils. I mean, if you go to Scarborough, even now, you know, instead of a regular grocery store, there was like a Tamil grocery store every block. So I would say it was very like aware and like connected because of friends and like, you know, the fact that you could speak Tamil. It was just like cool to be Tamil, not completely cool, but it was still cool. I'd say now it's like very in. Um, but, you know, obviously, I think as I uh, became part of TamilCulture.com, I think obviously it grows because you meet, it's like a cycle. You meet more and more people and like you just become more and more kind of connected to your roots because culture at the end of the day is just kind of a shared experience. So different people have different experiences. So just meeting a bunch of different people, you get a different interpretations of like what it means to be Tamil. So, yeah. So any trips to Sri Lanka in our near future? Maybe. <laughs> Can you describe your endeavors and how they came about? Yeah, templeculture.com was started by me and a friend of mine. Oh, actually, I joined. My uh, my friend Shiv started it, and then I kind of came on board later. My Tamil date was actually because I think we started getting inquiries from people about really like showcasing stories about the global Tamil community or just like Tamils. And I guess people came to us like we started getting inquiries about like matchmaking in a way and we didn't really have anything but i think somebody had suggested that idea of like a dating site and then we just kind of decided that was something that was the next natural step so that's kind of how my tumble date came came to be and yeah the tumble creator podcast which you're kind of listening to is really more of a personal project especially during covid when like uh socialization was like pretty hard so this is kind of my way to connect with interesting people and since i was you know I have a lot of connections that are already Tamil. I thought that's going to be the the logical place to kind of start with my podcasting foray. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into those, I guess, quote unquote, Tamil things. Tell us about Continue Care. Uh, Continue Care was started with a Tamil friend of mine, uh, Davis. He, me and him were at a Boston pizza. We were kind of just having dinner. I forgot what the experience was, but I think we were waiting for our food a bit longer than usual. And he's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we can just kind of skip, you know, the steps they have for like taking your order and just go straight to like ordering what we want and control their experience. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. He's like, yeah, I want to like do something like that. Let's go. Like, and I think I just suggested that he do it. And he's just, I think he started like creating a prototype and wire, wire, like wireframing with like some other folks or like he had put some other folks that didn't work out. And then he came to me and he asked if I was interested. And I was like, yeah, why not? And, um, you know, I think we tried that for a couple of years in the restaurant space. It didn't really work out because good product, wrong market. We got featured in the Toronto Star as Innovation of the Year. And um, I think a senior home saw the, the newspaper article or whatever it was and reached out to us to say, hey, can you come create this or customize what you have for the senior home market? We were not interested. It didn't seem like a great opportunity, but then we took it and yeah, we just realized by doing that first pilot with them that there was something there. It's very painful growth, but I think with anything, if you stick with it long enough, you find success. They say most businesses don't fail because, well, I mean, some are bad ideas, but if there's something there, it's usually because you give up. 
we didn't. And yeah, I would, you know, I think the business has been growing okay, um, especially the last couple of years. So we'll just continue to stick with that. And at a high level, we basically digitized anything that used to be pen and paper in a home. We start with dining. So if you picture the dining experience, um, somebody takes the order, they write it down on a piece of paper, um, and they walk over to the kitchen. There's room for mistakes, inefficiencies, you know, data isn't kept in terms of like long-term trends around what residents want. So we basically really focus on dining experience to make things smoother, faster, and document kind of what was actually happening so that homes could have a better sense of how to improve their operations. Things went smoothly, mistakes, less mistakes were being made. And then we took that idea of digitizing paper and pen in senior homes, and we took it to other areas as other parts of homes. But the core thing we focus on is digitizing paper and pen process in dining rooms in senior homes across Canada. It's not the sexiest idea, but it's like, I think a lot of great ideas, or not great ideas, but a lot of good ideas and businesses, which is just like a insight that you get either accidentally or purposefully and then you just kind of find product market fit and you just try to grow it so that's what we've, we've been doing did you get to meet kevin o'leary along this journey why don't you share that well i met him very briefly we met him me and davis met him at the awards night for the innovation of the year at that time he thought our idea was really cool which was like 10 years ago whatever it was and he said you got to keep going and he was actually like much nicer than his i think i've heard that a lot he's much nicer than his tv personality and unrelated we didn't meet kevin o'leary but we, we actually auditioned for dragon's den i forgot the version it's not like the main one but it's like another like version of it because actually one of the guests from the, the podcast the tumble creator podcast priscilla she's actually was a producer on the dragon's den at that point and they were looking for another company to kind of come and pitch and we did and you know we got grilled but it was a fulfilled a dream of mine which was to audition for the show so yeah that's so cool so clearly you're wearing many hats. How do you manage your time balancing work, passion projects, and your personal life? I mean, I'm truly confused and blown away by the fact that you can be so productive in your office working away, but then be present for bath time or medical appointments for our kids. Do you have any tips or tricks for those who want to be more efficient with their time? I think a couple of things. One is if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't exist. So try to put as many things in your calendar as possible so you can free up your mind to not think about those things or have to remember. So whether it's social or for the kids or for business, put everything in the calendar. Number two is focus on the thing you're doing. So if you're with family, friends, like in our case, when we're parenting, just do that thing. Don't think about work. And when you're doing work, don't think about like anything else. Um, I think, I think that al allows me to do different things because I kind of are, have a schedule for how I focus on different tasks or how I like at least prioritize or know what to do. And I think just things like just organizing your to-do list for the day ahead, the a day, of, a day ahead of time, clearing your calendar of like things that you can move so that it's not so packed. So just small things that like that, I think that really helped me manage my time. And I think I do like a lot less than I used to. Um, you know, I think activity is not the same as productivity. So, yeah. When you do something, you just do it as the Nike slogan. For example, I remember the day you told me you wanted to do the podcast. And then within a few weeks, you did it. Not to mention that this was a near few months after having our twins. Where does your drive come from and how do you do it? I don't know if it comes from somewhere. I think it's more so one of the things I've always wanted to embody was... If I did, if I said I was going to do something, I would do it. 
versus, you know, I think a lot of people say they're going to do something and they don't. Uh, so it's just one of the things that for me personally, I want to embody. And now that I have kids, even more so kind of really embody that. Just be a person of your word. You know, even if even the podcast, I didn't enjoy it or like, I don't know, it really sucked. Uh, you know, at least I tried. So I think not being afraid of failure um, allows me just to kind of try things. I'm, I'm not going to try every little thing I think of, but this was just something that I was sitting on. I'm like, I just, you know, wrote it down. I documented it. And when it felt like the time was right and, you know, the guests from episode one, I'm the learns, they were awesome. And they offered to be my guinea pig. And, you know, I think once you have somebody reach out, um, I think I talked about, you know, uh, maybe I didn't, but I think having some kind of accountability really helps in kind of getting things done. If you know that somebody's counting on you or relying on, on the fact that you said you're going to do something, I think it kind of pushes you to do things. So I, I think just not to be afraid of failure, having accountability, and um, writing out everything you think of, but not acting on everything as well. What's that quote you told me once about like, it's like, you're like, it's easy to have an idea. But... Oh yeah, I'm saying, obviously a good idea, a good idea is still worth something, but you can have an A plus idea, but if you have no execution or B plus execution, it's not going to go anywhere versus like a mediocre idea. Actually, execute it well it could be a really good business or just turn out well, whatever it is. Do you ever experience dad guilt as an entrepreneur? If so, how do you overcome this? I recall you asking this to guest Shamini Warren from episode 99. I think, I don't know if there's a thing as dad guilt. I feel like there's definitely mom guilt because of how society is kind of constructed and like women are typically the ones taking care of kids and they're not really encouraged to run businesses and all that stuff. I don't think dads get the same pressure. Um, I think we get like a lot more credit than we probably deserve for doing the same things as moms. But um, I definitely get guilt when I'm thinking about something, even though you know, it's like I just told you focus on what you're supposed to do when you're with your kids. But obviously you're human. And there's definitely been times when I've been thinking about work and been frustrated or something. And it's taken out in the experience with the kids. So that makes me guilty. It makes me feel guilty. Um, but I think it's just remembering that we're all imperfect, flawed human beings. We're a work in progress. So um, when I make those mistakes, just trying to get better next time and not to be hard on myself. Um, I think that's how I get over quote unquote dad guilt is trying to be as present as possible for those moments, like whenever we do stuff with the kids. Um, and if I do make mistakes because of work or just something else I'm preoccupied with and I'm not fully attentive, then just remind myself the next time. I got to be better. What has been a learning lesson, as you coin it, that you've experienced in the last three to five years? And what was your takeaway from it? Um, I think the big learning lesson, I was kind of already doing it, but I think it's two things. One is productivity, not activity. It's the same thing as it's better to do less things, but do them well. So I think that's one. I guess it's not really a mistake, but I think I've made mistakes by taking on too much. So the thing to reverse that is just try to focus on less things so I can do them well and be more present in like just general life. Uh, number two is um, I think when disagreeing with somebody, I think just giving myself in that person's space and trying to be empathetic, I think, um, because when you're in an argument, you know, whether it's with yourself or like just any other folks, it's not really productive to kind of keep feeding the fire. If you get into an argument, it's better to de-escalate and try to see if there's a solution that can, you know, be beneficial for both parties. Um, because I've definitely made the mistake of like sometimes just escalating fights when it wasn't needed just to 
be right or whatever the case might be. In the 12 plus years of knowing you, I have to say, you know, a lot of people, as you call it, relationship building. How do you go about networking? Yeah, I definitely did this a lot better pre-kids and especially I think even just before that I think I felt like in a, I don't know what age it was maybe as I got to my 30s I kind of slowed down with that but I think the idea is just be, be authentic um, when I'm building relationships with people friends business contacts whatever the case might be you actually don't know what that person will be in your life so just really meet somebody interesting that aligns with some level of things that you think think about um, it's just giving more than you're taking I think I've seen people like quote-unquote network like they'll reach out on LinkedIn or something and it's just like they're immediately asking for something, which is good in a way that they're being direct, but it's also, um, you know, how can you add value um, or like, how can you position or at least think about if you're asking somebody something, what is in it for them? So just trying to be authentic and trying to give as much as I can uh, before I ask, if I do ask anything, sometimes I don't even ask, like, I think I find joy in also the giving as well. Sometimes it gets me in trouble, I guess. But I think that's just, I think this is how you build relationships. I think you try to really give and give value to the other person and with the expectation of not getting anything back. It's almost like a gift. Right? You give a gift because you're not expecting anything back. So I think it's similar to relationship building. So as we previously stated, you know a lot of people, which is probably why you successfully recruited 100 individuals to sit down to a podcast interview with you. Some even know you as Tamil Nelly. Can you tell that story? Oh, boy. Uh, Actually, I think we're getting a call from someone. Hey, happy listeners of the Tamil Creator Podcast. This is Vasarenga jumping in, guest from episode 44. Uh, so I'm no stranger to this podcast or my best friend, Era, who has been my friend for over 20 years and my bestie. Just wanted to jump in with a little bit of story time about our gracious host here. So in <laughs> high school, Era actually earned the coveted nickname Tamil Nelly. Now, if you don't know who Nelly is, he is a southern rapper slash singer slash actor slash artist. Um, country Grammar is a... Uh, one of his major albums, I believe. But um, one thing he was known for was uh, having this unique look. I think he had a grill and, you know, he had a nice lineup and stuff, but he had a little uh, Band-Aid or bandage on his face, a little tiny one, one of those tiny ones just across his cheek. And it was actually a fashion statement. So when I first met Era, it was in um, calculus class. And this was sort of an advanced placement class. We were in grade 12, but we were a little smarter than most. Uh, he wouldn't like me saying that. And no, we weren't smarter than most. We just like to think it. So we were in this advanced placement class and most of the time we were just goofing off. But this is where Era and I connected and became best friends. And Era showed up to class. It was, you know, when it was warm in September, he was wearing like a full, like a toque beanie, like a winter coat. And he had this, um, this bandaid on his face. And so I thought, okay, this dude with his winter gear in basically summer, that's part of his look, you know, um, he's styling, but I thought he had a cut on his face and so did a lot of people. <laughs> and a couple of weeks go by, a couple of months go by and I'm like, buddy, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm chilling, I'm chilling, man. Yo, I'm chilling, dog, chilling, dog. Era used to kind of talk that way back in the day. I don't know uh, what his issue was. Just kidding, most of us did um, growing up in Scarborough uh, in, the, uh, in, in high school in the early 2000s. But turns out that at one point I was like, yeah, you're, you're, that cut on your face, is that, is that not healing properly? And he's like, what cut? <laughs> what do you mean? And then I'm like, 
so hold on, you know you have a Band-Aid on your face, right? And he's like, <laughs> nope, just doesn't say anything, just doesn't respond. He's just smiling. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Are you about that country grammar? Is that a fashion <laughs> statement? And this dude just keeps smiling. Sometimes Era just doesn't respond and he just smiles, that charisma, that smile where he doesn't have to actually confirm or deny what was going on. <laughs> so he earned the nickname Tamil Nelly. Now back to the podcast. So what words of wisdom would you bestow upon 16-year-old Tamil Nelly from Scarborough era? There'd be a few things, but I think the one that really sticks out is just be true to yourself. I mean, embrace kind of who you were. Um, while it's cool to be in the in crowd or cool, like be part of the cool kids, I think it's perfectly fine to just find your community people, even if it's on the fridge. So just be comfortable in your own skin. Um, you know, things shall pass. I think, you know, when you're that young, you think that your life at that point is kind of, you can't really see too far in the future, kind of imagine the possibilities because your world is so small. It's kind of like everyone, you know, in that school, uh, cause I don't really do much outside of school cause my parents are strict. So my viewpoints were like, school was like my world, but like, obviously when I graduated and like went to university and all that stuff, the world kind of became much bigger. So I think those are the two two things. Be true to yourself, like it doesn't be comfortable in your own skin, and everything like this too shall pass. Like every nothing is permanent, whether it's good or bad. Um, so yeah, those are the two things. For me, selfishly, this is a far way away in our future, but in terms of personal legacy, describe how you want to be remembered by your family and friends. I think this is an easy one for me, but it took a while, a long time to kind of really realize it. I think it's like five statements. I want to be good husband, good father, good brother, son, and friend. So I think those are the five things that I want to kind of embody. I think those encapsulate other things as well, you know, like try to be um, generous, try to be other centeredness, all those things. But I think that comes by being in relationship with people. So if I just focus on those five things, I think, and also like trying to try to help other people when I can. Um, so I think those are the, the things, how, it, how I would want to be remembered by people. We had an audience question and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it. So why are you so dedicated and invested in showcasing Tamils in society? Obviously being Tamil myself, I can identify and it's just interesting to me to have this common thing with a bunch of people and just, you know, sharing their stories um, with the world. Because a lot of the stories I think I'll share, it might not be quote unquote, like big stories or in terms of the people, but I, I find their stories fascinating. I find them fascinating. Usually it's either I know them personally or like I just been following them on like social media and I, I'm just curious about them. And I think I ask great questions and I think I ask questions that people are already thinking. So it's almost like public service in a way where like selfishly, I get to talk to really interesting people and ask questions that, you know, that are more acceptable in podcast form versus like a normal conversation. And people get to hear these conversations that scale because of the podcast. And I think that's kind of why I do it. Well, I'm sure this audience is grateful for it. And with that, that is a great way to segue into a fun speed round you like to call Creator Confessions. You know how it works. First thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yep. Favorite Tamil food? Mutton biryani with a boiled egg and mutton curry and like, yeah, onion salad. What's one thing you haven't tried yet in your life that you can't wait to try? Get a six pack. Down. What is your biggest fear? 
I think death, but if I think about it, it's like I'm scared of lightning, snakes, and heights. So yes, I guess all related to death in some way. <laughs> what is an insecurity of yours? That I spend a lot of time on things, but I haven't seen the value. Like other people wouldn't see the value of what I'm delivering. Favorite movie of all time? English would be Gladiator and Tamil would be Kanatamutal, I think. <laughs> yeah. The, I love Money Right in the Movies and I think that was my favorite. Can you say the name again? No. <laughs> Are you the Tamil creator podcast? <laughs> I thought it was um, American History X. That's one of them, but I'd say, like, I have a lot. American History X is one too. Great, actually, it's a great movie, but Gladiator. Really? Also, because I was on the, the bandwagon like five years later, because I remember telling Vaz, he's like, yo, that came out in theater like four years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the best movie ever. He's like, that was four years ago. <laughs> Sounds like you. Tough question for you, Era. Fellow Tamil creator, you want to big up. I got to give a shout out to my fellow Wolvernites, I guess, Boz and Tamuta. Both podcast guests. Yes. Do you know which episodes? No. Come on. No. <laughs> Favorite childhood memory? Um, There's a lot of small little like childhood memories, but I think... I always tell the story because it's funny. It's like with my brother Deepan and it's so him. We used to go to Tamil class every Saturday morning, which is like the worst time to go because of all the great cartoons and stuff we could be doing at that time. But um, I actually met my childhood best friend at, I think it was in Tamil school, Raj, or maybe it was earlier. But um, I think we were going one time and like my brother was really tired. He's always starting. He, he doesn't like to wake up early. And like, you have the picture of Deepa, like, well, those of you know him now, like, he's like this cool guy. But when he was younger, he was like this chubby little, like, cute little kid. And he was just sleepy. And I remember my dad saying, okay, everyone, like, I need everyone, like, get out. Like, you got to go to class. And me and my, I think my other brother, Cal, or maybe it was just me and Deepa, and I forgot. But we got out and Deepan was like still sleepy. And then like my dad was like basically yelling at him in Tamil, hey, like, wake up. And like, uh, or Olimugo. And like my brother wasn't wake, so to wake him up. And then my dad was yelling at him, but my brother wasn't really phased. He was just kind of um, like, he was just saying this, the, the funniest line, which was like, study, study, study. That's all we ever do. And then like, he kind of like just slowly trudges out of the car, even though my dad's yelling at him. Uh, it was just the funniest, like one of the funniest stories. Like it just sticks with me. It was just a, like a funny thing. Um I can't, I can't really think of like a lot of other, there's a few other stories, but I feel like that's like a one that pops into my head. What do you do outside of work for fun? I like to play ultimate frisbee, watch basketball, watch sports, watch movies, hang out with like, of course, my beautiful wife, Claudia, and like my sweet little twins, Shane, Zakai, and friends. Um, yeah, I like to like learn, read. I like to do a lot of stuff outside of work. If you could only watch one sport for the rest of your life, what would it be? I would say usually it would be a no-brainer basketball but football is also awesome because of like every game means something and the playoffs are crazy but I still have to say slightly basketball if you could only play one sport for the rest of your life what would it be ultimate frisbee because I feel like I could I could play it longer like basketball is very physical and I haven't played it in like since the kids were born so and I like ultimate frisbee that's the key thing. Things change in life. Like five years ago, basketball in a second, but I love ultimate frisbee. Five years from now, pickleball. Yeah, maybe. What's something you could benefit from caring less about? Not really much I could benefit from caring less about, actually. Yeah, I can't think of anything. That's because he literally doesn't worry about anything. What decision have you been putting off for a while? To get into shape. Like, better shape. And co-sign. A recent purchase you splurged on that you have no regret about. 
I don't really splurge on stuff, except maybe the microphone that I bought to do this podcast, or maybe some running shoes or walking shoes because I walk a lot and po- listen to podcasts. But yeah, I don't really splurge. I can vouch for that. He doesn't splurge. It was kind of a ridiculous question to pose to Era. Person or celebrity you admire? Pop out answer. I'll say my parents. I think a lot of kids, or I think I hope a lot of kids would say that. But yeah, there's, there's definitely like people, there's bits and pieces of different people that I respect or like want to steal from. But I'll just say my parents, but there's definitely things I admire about like different people. What do you admire about your parents? I think it's just a typical thing. Like, you know, they came to, like, I think just, it's crazy thinking about it because you don't really think about it. But now that I'm a parent, it's like pretty crazy. It's like me moving to like, I don't know, some, like they literally moved here without like Google Maps, without like knowing anything about Canada, except that other Tamil people immigrated here. They didn't know the language. I think my dad like knew English, but not obviously as well as he knows it now. My mom did it, like still doesn't, her English isn't as strong, but like they basically came here on a whim with like, again, it's not, my parents are not unique, but with little money, they like set up four kids for success. Like we've done things that they can only probably imagine. And just that is super hardworking. Like they're still like, my dad has helped a lot. Of, like the immigrant community helps like, helps each other out a lot. I've seen my dad help out a lot of people. It's like funny, you notice that people that don't have the most, like people that have the least are often the most generous. And I saw that with like my parents as well. And again, their stories are unique, but I just want to like highlight that I like those are all the things you see. And you don't really realize how much it impacts you subconsciously until you get older. And then like you start doing things that your parents do. Like there's one thing I like to do that my mom does. Like she likes to feed the squirrels and like seagulls and all these random like animals. And like I realized I do that. But it's because I saw my mom do it and like I didn't realize that I was picking up on it. But when I see a squirrel or animal, I want to like feed the animal or I do this thing that she does when she talks to squirrels by making these sounds. I do the same thing. So anyways, that's what I admire about my parents. Do you want to demo the sound? (laughs) (laughs) I I do have to say that I've been blessed with the most amazing in-laws. And I think the, the biggest things I admire about them are that they are not judgmental and they are very content with everything as it is and they don't have expectations of other people um, or even their children which is a really interesting thing to learn now that I'm a parent um, because you have to remember that that your kid's job is not to make you happy um and you have to be happy regardless and so I think that's very freeing um that lesson that I learned from your parents so I'm going like don't have expectations of them and I think they did that well with all four of you letting you guys live your life okay we're almost done this speed round which is not really a speed round um a regret you would have if you were going to die tomorrow I didn't spend enough time with friends and family age you want to retire 40 favorite book or podcast that has had an impact on you I think James Clear. Um, how do I forget the title? Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits, yeah. A new belief, behavior, or habit that's most improved your life? Trying to get more sleep regularly. PSA or advice for aspiring fellow Tamil creators? I think just whatever you think you're doing, try it. You know, be willing to fail. Find your circle of supporters. It's good to have that. It doesn't have to be a big circle. It's just got to be the right circle. Yeah, I think that's it. Awesome.
So after recording 100 episodes for the Tamil Creator, and I cannot say that lightly, what is the ideal state of the podcast? Or perhaps what's in the pipeline era? Is there a goal you're aiming for, such as reaching 10K, 1 million subscribers? Are you running for prime minister? Spill the beans, Era. Um, I don't have any goals. I think it's just, this is just started off with small ambitions. It's just really tell capture conversations that I, don't, I was already having at scale continue to be curious and like there might be a time when I just don't feel like doing it anymore but no real goals right now okay we do have another question coming in just uh, one moment here Vasaranga here chiming in to ask Era a question on this very special 100th episode of the Tamil Creator podcast I think it's Absolutely phenomenal that Claudia is interviewing you, Era, because you are the man, the myth, the legend, and we all want to hear from you, okay? So imagine this. None of the other streams of businesses that you are pursuing are on your radar anymore. The podcast is it. It's the only thing that you have going on. You're putting all your working time and effort into it, of course, enjoying life and having a great work-life balance and traveling and doing wonderful things with your family and your kids and your wife and all that jazz, but the podcast is it, all right? It's your full-time job. What does it look like? Where do, you, where do you do it? Where do you record it? Is it video? Are you traveling to people? What are the topics? What countries do you visit? What do you cover? I'd love to know. I'd love to know how the podcast would look if it was the thing, the only thing. Hit us with some thoughts, Sarah. Good question, buddy. Um, I think I would say, I, I mean, I want to reiterate that this podcast is kind of still me learning. I haven't figured out even like 10% or whatever it is I need to figure out to kind of do this. But I think I would want to like learn video, maybe go on site and travel and meet some guests. Like there might be various versions of this podcast or like this might be the starting point. It might evolve to other ones. So I think if it was, yeah, if I was just focusing on just this podcast, it would be maybe like several different podcast topics, uh, maybe video, like I haven't really, like, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect answer, but I think that's what I would probably do is I have like a lot of different ideas of storytelling and how I want to share that. So I think this would be the starting point, but there's like so many different angles I can go, but I'd love to do it in person. I would love to do video. I think learning is awesome. And I'd love to just kind of learn how to get better at those different aspects as well. Well, that's just about a wrap. Um, thank you so much, Era, for taking the time to join us as a guest on the Tamil Creator Podcast. The bigger the guest, the harder to recruit, I guess. <laughs> you were a great guest, and I'm sure the listeners enjoyed the role reversal. For people who want to reach you, where can they find you? <laughs> just okay? kidding. They all know it's at the Tamil Creator on Instagram. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say to your guests who've been along for this 100 episode ride with you? Oh, I mean, for all the guests, the ones that I'm friends with, I know well, and the ones that I just met as a result of the podcast. Thank you guys for jumping on and sharing your story. You know, I've heard lots of stories of people being motivated or like excited by the stories they hear. So just a big thank you. And thank you for sharing your story and story and kind of um, coming along for the ride to inspire people globally. Yeah, I think I'll just reiterate that and thank you everyone from all over the world who has either been a guest or has listened to the last 100 episodes 
and this very special 100th episode of the Tamil Creator Podcast. For those of you who are unaware, ERA will be taking a short hiatus. So all I can say is stay tuned. And ERA, any last words? No, I think you got it. Okay. On to the next one. (laughs) 